On this week in sales, we're going to be taking a look at demand base buying everybody, Forrester's new waterfall, mining the CRM for insights, and much, much more. My name is Will Barron. I'm the founder over at Salesman.org, and joining me, host of this show, sales legend, absolute legend, Victor Antonio. Victor, <laughs> how's it going, mate? It is going good, Will. How about yourself? What's I new in good. your world? Uh, what is new? Not much. Uh, we touched on uh, EDM production last week. Some of that is starting to go ahead in the background. I'll probably have some stuff to share. Um, I don't know how I'm going to share it, but I, I'm definitely going to start creating content within a brand on its own, and that'll some, somewhat feature into the, uh, the salesman all content, and maybe we'll feature. We'll talk about it on this show as well. Um, but that's the only thing that's really up, Walter. The puppy is doing great. We've got him on the whistle now. We're doing uh, the book is called Total Recall. Any dog owners who are struggling with recall of their dogs, great book. Gives you a system. What, what I'm interested in and, and what we preach over self dog systematic framework of how to build recall into your dog. And literally the whistle now, he almost leaps and turns around and bolts back. He doesn't just go. Oh, I'll, I'll probably come over. And it was a hilarious this morning. The we, we spoke to. There's a. There's a it's. Hopefully they'll never listen to this, right? But there's a bunch of middle-aged women that all walk the dog the same time I do, right? And they've, they've all got somewhat, somewhat young dogs and a couple of older dogs. And so Walter always edges over to them. So it's me and these four or five middle-aged women just chatting nonsense because they're all very nice and they've all they've looked after me and, and, and the puppy, right? But I've got nothing in common with them. And so they're just humoring me as, and I, I slow down their walks. I'm just getting in the way. Well, one of them walked off and their dog stayed with, with the pack, so to speak. And so she whistled, and it must be the same whistle that I have. Um, Acme whistles are these like famous British dog whistles. And Walter bolted towards her. So I might have to suss out a, a dog whistle that is less common so that he's not just running around these fields or these different places following whoever's whoever's blowing. So there you go. That was the shenanigans this morning. Uh, but Victor, anything new with you, mate? No, no, no. Uh, but I did want, you know, I, I, I should have asked this offline, but you need to send me your address so I can send you one of my pens. I'll do that. I, I forgot to ask you for your address. And so send me that. And I'm gonna, I am gonna. I, I think I got one for you. Well, I think I got one that you're gonna like that I built. And by the way, it's a one of a kind wow. that I built. So I'm gonna send that one to you, man. And then you can get feedback on this week in sales. After you receive it, you can judge the pen. How's that? I, I would love that. That is uh, very nice of you, Victor. I will have it on the desk. We'll have it next to the GTR on the table. And um, we, we'll celebrate it. I'll use it to sign. What's the, here you go. So regular listeners of all our content of Sub.org know this, that I'm, I'm building a business to be sold, right? Eventually, there's no rush. Uh, you know, Revenue-wise, it, it's fine for me to live off in the, in the meantime. But I'm strategically building a business that my face won't be on the front of uh, all the time so that it can be sold. That's like the end goal of all this, whether it's five years, 25 years, whatever it is. I will, If you send me a pen, I will sign the contracts of the sale with your pen. How about that? That'll be full circle of this show and uh, and this moment. This will be, if it ever happens, this will be a really cool clip to go in the uh, in the archives and, and be on the the that'd be cool. Uh, the that'd video be cool. where I'm going. I'm, I'm now transitioning over to uh, another company. I'm now employed uh, and uh, yeah, being self-employed is really fun and being an employee is not all that fun. That's probably going to be the video that will come at that point. 
Maybe, maybe. But yeah, I will send that. So send me the address, I'll send the pen. We'll get that done. Okay, so let's get into <clears throat> some sales news. And this is a big mm-hmm. one. Demand base buys both inside view and demand matrix, strengthening their data services for B2B sales and marketing. This is from demandbase.com, which the website's currently down. So I assume that they're getting tons of traffic on this acquisition at the moment. Uh, are you familiar with these companies, Victor? Demand base, I am not. inside view, not. and demand matrix. I am not. Okay, so demand base does essentially just all content, uh, all uh, contact data across uh, CRMs and and, and finding uh, outreach data and that side of things. Inside view, I've got a few notes here, is a firmographic data or provides firmographic data on sales leads and accounts to augment CRM or marketing solutions. They can pull together finances, employee counts, market segments, news, corporate hierarchy, essentially a lot of the content that you would perhaps otherwise get from LinkedIn. Now, clearly, it's valuable to have an alternative to LinkedIn in case LinkedIn closes its doors, ban you from the platform. And so I think there's real value from inside view. And the other company that Demandbase have purchased is Demandmatrix that have technologic... How do you say that word, Victor? Ten- Technologic... Technographic, technographic data services. Technographic data services, which provide data on hardware and software used by accounts, as well as technology skill set trends and IT spend. So if you're selling into the startup, the technology space, clearly knowing what platforms that they're using, what software that they're using. If you're selling even uh, perhaps web development or app development services, you can say, hey, we can use, we use Agile, we use whatever.io or this.jt. Mm-hmm your <clears throat> conversations are going to be more insightful, more useful, and you perhaps, the, uh, perhaps can uh, lube your conversations and get the deals done quicker by knowing some insights there. So these three companies all together, it's, it's an incredible amount of data that buyers have. And so I'm really intrigued as to, to where all of this goes. Yeah, well, the demand matrix, I've never heard of this, but I think what a brilliant idea, mm-hmm. right? To figure out what people are using on, on the technology side per company what hardware, software, whatever they may be using, what platform. I didn't even know that existed. Got to be honest. Didn't know that existed. That's I'm, amazing. I'm just going on their homepage now. I don't think they offer this service, but there is a competitor of theirs that does offer a service where uh, you, I can't remember the, the brand name. I'll link it in the show notes over at thisweekinsales.com. And you just type in the URL of the website, the company that you want to prospect, and they will ping back on some of the data that they've gathered. Of course, they'll give you the top three bits of, of data, IT infrastructure, whatever it is, and then it's all blurred out underneath because they don't want to pay for the product, of course, which is more than fair. Um, demand Matrix don't offer that, as I can see on their website. But that data is incredibly valuable. Imagine going into me medical device sales, going into a hospital and going, okay, well, they're using Carl Stutz camera systems, Olympic, Olympic endoscopes, uh, Olympus endoscopes, um, Striker, yada, yada, yadas. And then you go into a conversation not having to ask that information is uh, at this point in time, it's so uncanny not to do that extra bit of discovery, to have that data in front of you, that that would probably, and this might change over time as this information, it becomes more ubiquitous and everyone uh, has it at the fingertips. But right now, I think that would be almost impressive, potentially a, a, a manager with some budget. Well, I'm also thinking about, you know, like we sold back in the day before we had this type of data, you had to go in there, do the discovery, figure out what they have or guess what they had in their I sold telecom stuff, so I had to figure out what they had at their head end or the central office. But to have this information before you go in there, don't ask the, the frivolous questions. Two, pres- uh, you can actually prepare your presentation angle, how you want to approach that. This is really impressive. I, I Wow. Wow. So if you're not selling, you know, and you don't have this information, I think this would put you at a disadvantage if you didn't have it. I agree. You know, I but, agree. 
And I maybe mean, there's a training point here, Victor, of, are you, are you familiar, have you ever read any books on uh, this idea of, of social engineering? Social, uh, is this a cybersecurity social engineering? Yep. So you, uh, essentially using, uh, rather than, most places get hacked because someone's made a mistake physically, a human error, as opposed to uh, there's some nerd in a computer uh, in a dark room somewhere with like crisp dust all over his fingers and a can of Mountain Dew hacking in somewhere. Um, a lot of the attacks in the 90s, uh, just as USB keys or USB memory sticks were coming, uh, more ubiquitous never had them, was you just leave it in, uh, you'd, you'd write a note on the side of it saying, hey, uh, pay cuts or redundancies or something like that. Something, something that would prompt them to want to grab it yep. and plug it in. So yeah. whoever it is, the receptionist, Miller's management, some other idiot picks it up, sticks it in the computer, and that's how you get access to the, the, the software on the organization. That's how you break through all their firewalls. So it's essentially, that is social engineering. Um, and I've had a few people on the show to talk about social engineering from the perspective of how do you break into an account to find some of the information here that it seems demand matrix, for example, or inside you could could offer you. And uh, I'll link to a few episodes of the sales podcast in the show notes, but it's, it's really fascinating. And I've done this a few times as experiments. I've done it with Salesforce a few times before big conversations with uh, different projects that we've done with them. And I just get random people's numbers, phone them, and a lot of people are more than happy. They don't have to do with the deal that you're doing. They're, they're just in this kind of similar space. They're more than happy to tell you who's the boss, what's going on, the inside politics. And uh, it's probably an underutilized tool for B2B sales professionals when we're in this complex sales environment, which we'll touch on in a second. Um, it's an underutilized tool just to ring a few people, essentially cold call them and say, hey, I'm not trying to sell you anything. I'm just interested in what's going on in the organization at the moment. Have you got a few minutes? And most yeah, of the time I've found that people will, will respond to that. I think people have this natural response to the, the phrase help. Can you help me out? Mm -hmm. I need a little help. I'm like, yeah, what do you need? It's almost like that Pavlovian response, but I've never tied social engineering in the context of cybersecurity to actually being good at selling if you had all this information ahead of time. That's interesting. You think differently. Well, I like that. I like that. Speaking of thinking differently, how's that for a, a transition? <laughs> you ruined it. As soon as you say, as soon as you ask for my approval on the transition, Victor. It, the, the I know, I know. It's, it's, it's like confidence transition. Ask for approval. <laughs> I, yeah, I shouldn't have asked for you. Anyway, Zoom Info CEO Shuck. Anyway, mining CRM's wasteland of information. What a beautiful phrase. Mining CRM's wasteland of information for insights. And this is an article written by Tiernan Ray. CEO Shuck. I should have put his name, first name down. Anyway, believes the company Zoom Info can correct the mess that resulted from a decade just a decade of investment in CRM systems. Following better than expected Q1 revenue and profit and raised outlook, Zoom Info CEO and founder Henry Shuck spoke with CDNet and here's what he said. When we talk to customers, Will, they invested a lot in CRM a decade ago and they opened the door to people putting information in with no governance and it became this wasteland of information, he says. Sellers didn't want to engage with the CRM because there was nothing interesting coming out of it. Zoom Info, da, 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 cue the Superman music, comes in and plugs into the CRM and you can really turn CRM into a system of insight and away from a system of record. I think that was kind of slight towards uh, salesforce.com. Mm -hmm. The effort is as much about fixing what's broken with the CRM and other so-called systems of record of Salesforce and other vendors. Now, so, I thought I'd highlight this one for two reasons. One, took a swipe at Salesforce. I thought it was interesting. Basically saying, eh, 
you know, they're useless. Uh, that was my short version of what he said. <laughs> but what's interesting, he said that it's a wasteland of information, these things called the CRM, and that they figured out the secret sauce to pull information, insight from these CRM systems. I don't know. I'm thinking it's an arrogant statement. I'm thinking it's an arrogant posture. What do you think? I think stuff like this has to be backed up. So if I was to make a, a bold claim like that, Victor, I and you know, the article might have only you can only fit so much words into an article before people turn off and clearly trying to grab headlines here, right? But if I was to make a claim like that, I would immediately be following it up with, hey, we here's an anecdote, here's an example. We've pulled this out. And this is what this is an example of an insight versus uh, record of, of of previous history uh, of data. And clearly, if you're going to pull insights, they've got to come from an accurate record of previous transactions, conversations, and all that. Anyway, so you can't really have one without the other. So it's a bit of a slight without seemingly any evidence or you know anything to back it up. What I found interesting as I was reading the article, one, there was no let me prove it, social proof, as you pointed out. Here's an example. Here's how we do that. It seemed general fluff, but yet their numbers are going up. But I also think this is one of those George Orwellian things, this 1984 thing, you know, that the 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 evil empire in this case is Salesforce. So let's slam Salesforce just to get a little more attention. But there was nothing in the article that says this is why we're different. And I have a hard time believing that Zoom Info has more Maserati Tesla slash AI power you know, or the Zoom info can actually outdo a Salesforce.com. I mean, I would believe Microsoft Dynamics, if they came out with a statement like this, we could do it better. But Zoom Info, I mean, how much have we heard about Zoom Info? Not Zoom Info much. is a pretty big company. Yeah. It is. Apparently, the numbers are going up, but they're not the name. I've, I wonder where they fit in the quadrant, a Gartner's quadrant. Let's see. Gartner's Magic Quadrant for CRMs. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. 2021. I'm pulling up the data right now, Will. Let's see if I can find it. Are you a member uh, of Gartner, Forrester, or do you have any behind-the-scenes access to any of the unpublished content? I am not, and I do not. I might you? see... Uh, no, do I? <laughs> they won't give me anything about, about me begging. But it, yeah. might, it would not be a unreasonable thing for them to give us access to some stuff. Like I get um, reports from HubSpot, Salesforce, uh, some of the big CRMs, Pipedrive. I get sent stuff before it, it airs because they want to do podcasts on it. I don't know whether they want to be affiliated with you and I. I don't know if I'd want to be affiliated with you and I. But it would be not be an unreasonable thing for them to start uh, giving us access to some things. We'll, we'll just talk about them more often, won't we? Yeah, we'll just, yeah, they should. We should reach out to them. By the way, I don't see them on the Magic Quadrant, is what I'm saying. I'm, I'm looking at, I don't know if I'm looking at the latest, I'm looking at the 2020, last year. You got in the leader row, you got uh, Salesforce, obviously, Oracle, Adobe. Zoho is down there, it's visionary, niche player, CR, Sugar CRM. I don't see them. HubSpot's over in the Challenger. Uh, ability to execute very high. They're in the challenger bracket. And so they're up there, but I don't see Zoom Info. Well, Zoom Info aren't really a CRM. They're more on gathering data that in, goes into a CRM, up-to-date contact information, um, and that side of things. So they're going to go into somebody else's CRM and pull out more information than the CRM folks themselves. <laughs> like, so, so you're going to tell me that you've developed the, the magic algorithm that you're going to just plug into a, a Salesforce.com and you're going to pull out some insight 
that those poor people over at salesforce.com just have no idea that exists in there because it's a wasteland of information. I don't know. I'm calling out Henry Shuck. <laughs> and I'm just calling him out. I'm like, dude, next time, if you're going to post an article like this, back it up a little bit. I mean, it may be true. The numbers are growing. Like Better than Q1 revenue and profit and raised out for, for the next quarter. So they're doing something right. I'm just saying. Maybe their marketing person, whoever wrote this uh, press release, needs to up their game a little bit. But anyway... Well, Let's on the head radar over now. to research that is data-backed, right? Forrester debuts next-generation B2B revenue waterfall to help firms accelerate revenue growth. Now, I had no idea what the heck a B2B revenue waterfall was before I started reading the couple of articles that we'll talk about now. But are you familiar with what these are, Victor? I am familiar with waterfalls. I didn't know Forrester had their own waterfall. Sure. So for, yeah. so for anyone who isn't familiar, imagine a sales funnel. Forrester then tells you industry averages of conversion rates between each part of the sales funnel so that you can compare your organization versus what the industry is doing. And you can see whether you're sucking, whether you're doing great, because uh, clearly you want to focus on perhaps the biggest discrepancies there, and that's going to give you the biggest bang for buck in uh, potential improvement. So... Forrester's, and I'm quoting here from the article over at prnewswire.com, and we'll come on to a second one from Forrester itself in a second. Forrester's B2B revenue waterfall adds renewal, cross-sell, and upsell opportunities as new opportunity types in the target opportunity stage of the waterfall. Now, why they weren't included already is a bit weird to me. Seemingly, the clearly important elements of any kind of sales funnel or waterfall or whatever we're calling well, it. Well, I, I wonder, when I, when I first read the definition of waterfall, and I, this was when I was doing the research for my book, Mastering the Upsell, right, which I've not published yet. <laughs> and, I, and I was doing the research, I'm like, well, this is just another way of saying upselling or cross-selling. Yep. But you talk about waterfalls. I mean, that's all you're doing is how do you sell more to your existing customer base? So there's, there's, they've stated what? Referrals, upselling, cross-selling. Yeah, I mean, okay, that's a waterfall. And should we, Victor, again, Leaning on you here, experience in sales leadership and, and more executive positions than what I have done and probably ever will do. Do we need separate strategies? Corporate visions have great content on this, but do we need separate strategies for upselling, uh, converting competitor accounts, uh, going after new logos or brand new accounts? Do we need separate specific strategies for each one of these? I say yes. I agree. All, all, because what happens is that it gets lost in the mix. Do you know what I mean? Because some people are just in the hunt mode, right? Some people are just like, you know, client acquisition, client acquisition, client acquisition. They got that process down. But again, uh, in the book, I highlight that one of the studies I came across was that you can increase your sales to selling the existing customers by up to 30%. That's big. That's huge. So I think it's a separate process. One could even argue that might be a different sales force that would manage that. So yeah. What do you think? What are your thoughts? How do you see it? I, I totally agree. Again, uh, Customer visions, uh, customer visions. That doesn't sound right. Corporate visions. Corporate, corporate, corporate visions. visions have a couple of books on these <clears throat> topics, and they make some really interesting points. Again, from their own research. So, for mm -hmm. example, if you're trying to upsell a customer, you've just sold them on what you've got is probably the best that they can afford. You've used all the budget, and you've cemented the deal in place. Now, if you come and try and upsell them, well, you're going to unsettle the status quo that you've set in place. You don't want a competitor to be able to come in and upset that status quo. So if you come in and upset it and they go, okay, well, maybe you're right. Maybe we do need to improve whatever we're doing or spend a bit more or change things. We'll have a look at the competitors as well. So they discuss different ways of going about not uh, upsetting the status quo within a current account, but still being able to upsell them. One of the ways they do it is uh, positioning your pricing and then immediately giving it a big discount if they move fast on it so that you can 
essentially lift this rock, which is status quo, up from your customer, change the, the amount of value in the deal that's been exchanged and put the rock back down on it to stop competitors coming in and sweeping the account uh, from you. So they've got a couple of books on this subject. But yeah, clearly you need different uh, strategies uh, and different ways of implementing all of this. And you're probably right. I think you might be on something there of different teams, different personality types. If someone's just, you know, I've accepted that I've been aggressively, somewhat aggressively or assertively sold to because the, the seller knew that there was an opportunity here for them to really help me. Maybe it's a different personality type that comes in more subtly with more empathy, with perhaps even biz higher business IQ that comes in after the fact and says, hey, this was right at the time, but perhaps we need to do one, two, and three to move everyone uh, forward kind of like 12 months down the line. I agree. I'm trying to find the book. I read a book. They, they produced a really good book and I can't find it, but it was something about the different conversations you should have. It's corporate depending on what I think it's called The Three Conversations. <clears throat> It's, is it called The Three Conversations? It's either called that or that's the kind of uh, subtitle to it. Uh, I got to look it up. It's, it's bothered me because that is, it's a great book. So I just want to give a credit because it is a great book. I can't find it for some reason. I'm pulling up nothing on my Amazon and I'm looking under books and I just can't find it. Amazon is totally failing me today. <laughs> what else has it failed you on? The three, by the way, there it is. Finally, three converse, the three value conversations. That's not, that isn't the one. Now, now you got me really. This book is so good. I mean, it's. I just want to highlight because it's when you're upselling, it's a different conversation. I should. I apologize. I should look for this. The expansion sale. Yeah. Is a. It's called the the four must win conversations to keep and grow your customers. That book right there. If you want upsell, cross sell. Uh, this actually structures the conversations for you in that business. So I love that book. It's a great book. I highly recommend it. Good. We'll link to that in the show notes over at thisweekinsales.com as well. And we'll get into the waterfall in more detail in a second, but there's a few other uh, data points that I thought was interesting that came from this uh, article on prnewswire.com. First off, this year's, I'm quoting here, this year's Forrester B2B study shows that more than 80% of purchases now involve complex buying scenarios and 95% of current purchases involve three or more people across two or more departments and committee scenarios where strategic persons, strategic per I wish people would just speak in English. Yeah. <laughs> we're strategic. There's so, we're strategic this is, purchases. This is a problem in communication from Forrester, from <clears throat> Gartner, from all of these brands. They should do, I was going to say a dumbed down version of the content, but there is a real skill in simplifying things, right? It's something I'm focused on at the moment of some of our training that me and Victor have been, uh, I've been pestering Victor about and he's been giving me uh, thoughts and feedback on. But just write in plain English. I'm going to start that sentence again. 95% of current purchases involved three or more people across two or more departments and committee scenarios where strategic purchases include multiple people and departments across the organization and require executive oversight. Forget that fact that I just shared. That sentence has one, <laughs> two, three ands in it. That can't be good English, that Victor, can it? No, no, no. By the way, do you know what, uh, and I looked up real quick, do you know what the gunning fog index is? No. So gunning, as you're gunning for something, fog index is basically, you know, you can actually put in your text and it tells you what level that language is connecting with. So for example, this is a third grade level, fifth grade, you know, college level. And what they found, and if you look at the gunning fog, by the way, you can take any text and toss it in there and it'll tell you what the index is. Uh, but seventh to eighth grade is the index. So here, I'm going to see if I can actually take, I'm going to see if I can find the gunning fog. I'm on it. I'm on it, Victor. 
Okay, and I want to see if I can just pump it in there. There's got to be a website where you can just throw it in there because I've used it. The Gunning, Fog, the Gunning Fog Index for that sentence, that paragraph that I just shared is 24.5. Which is, like, that means you have 24 years of uh, education experience. So that means you went through college. 24 so years college, of brain science went into understanding that yeah. rocket science, <laughs> brain science, working for Tesla, <laughs> I NASA. I gave it a 24. Yeah. Elon Musk yeah. is struggling with that sentence. Yeah, that's right. So it's not just you. So the Gunning Fog Index is way high on that. Uh, again, marketing people over... You know, at Forrester, get your act together. But go ahead. Okay, so let's move on to another post. This one's slightly more easy to digest. This is from Forrester.com, and this is entitled Follow Up. Well, do I put that in there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, I think you put that in there. <laughs> this is entitled Why We Have a New Waterfall for 2021. Why you should care? And I, I, I added to the title of Follow Up a Previous Story. Uh, so it kind of ruined some of the illusion there for the audience yeah. of the seamlessness of this show, Victor. This is from Kerry Cunningham, who is the VP and Principal Analyst over at Forrester. And they essentially are doing a new uh, waterfall here because of two big change. One, buying groups, and two, opportunity mix. Uh, I'll touch on these uh, very briefly, but I'll, I've added way more notes in the show notes this episode of it this week in sales if you're interested in this. So there's two new defining elements of the waterfall. Buying groups, opportunity mix. Buying groups, so quote, prior to 2017, all of our waterfalls and virtually every waterfall or funnel model in B2B sales were organized to track leads from the top of the opportunities down from the top to opportunities at the bottom. The problem with this arrangement is that B2B organizations go to market the buyer they are trying to attract is not a single person for each opportunity. So what the selling, what the saying is, which is obvious for anyone who's ever sold anything, for anyone who's teaching, training, doing whatever, and they see a nice funnel and they go, hey, we'll put this on a slide and we'll teach this to our sales team. It may not be so obvious to them, but anyone who's sold anything, you go into, uh, you get a call from someone, you get a, a reports downloaded by marketing. Someone finance, some someone finance gets a text you or whatever it is. Then you go through twenty seven people with the organization. It's going all over the place. It doesn't just go down; it goes back up. You've got status quo. You've got buying groups. You've got committees. It goes back fifteen steps, and then someone just goes, "Hey, we'll, we'll just do it. Why are we faffing around?" And it jumps twenty seven steps forward. They're trying to account for all of this within the new waterfall. Now, the problem with all this, Victor, and we're banging on about it. I couldn't actually find this waterfall online anywhere. This is the, this is the problem with this. They're banging on about it. It's coming. It's going to be exciting. Um, but there's no diagrams, images of this waterfall anywhere. So I don't know how all this works in reality. But yeah, they're, they're trying to uh, account for that. And they're also trying to account for what they call the opportunity mix. So again, quoting, there's another factor our waterfalls have not yet accounted for, and it may be just as important in determining your overall performance of your organization's revenue engine. It's what we call the opportunity mix. For, the young, for all but the youngest of startups, your revenue goals rely on converting net mix of new logos, existing customers, cross-sells, upsells, and perhaps more important, most, most importantly, retaining existing customer deals. So we touched on this previously. They're trying to include the opportunity mix in the waterfall as well. Victor, is it possible to have some kind of diagram that accounts for all of this? Is what they're no. doing like a reasonable no. uh, starting no. point to build something? This, I mean, this is why AI exists yeah. in, in, in the actual CRM engines, right? Because we can't do this as human beings. We just can't do this. So, I mean, am I wrong? And look, I feel like I'm the cynic today because I'm looking at this going, all right, we're just talking about funnels and you're just complicating how these funnels come about, how these things get into the funnel and you're trying to track down, up, down, up, sideways, you know, so... I mean, this is what we need a CRM system for with intelligence to tell us what is happening and basically where they're at. 
So I don't know what, yeah, I, I read through this and I go, okay, where are they going with this? Well, where are they going with this? Because I'm like, so you're going to give me some type of, I, I don't know. Okay. Like the first, I guess here's my, my, my thumbnail because I'm like, if, if I'm the audience, I'm thinking, okay, yeah. what, what are we talking about here? Sure. Okay. So this waterfall. Okay. So it's a way of basically, it just think multiple waterfalls. It falls from one waterfall to the bottom, jumps into another waterfall to another waterfall, whatever. Or or just put funnels in their place because that's kind of what we're doing anyway. Yep. This is just a bunch of funnels in the funnels in the funnels. And so they're saying there are a lot of different buying groups and the leads can come from anywhere within the organization. Got to check, register, put that in the CRM, right? And then the opportunity mix, what we can sell them is uh, I'm interpreting this, right? New logo acquisition, existing customer cross-sales and upsells, and perhaps uh, more importantly, retaining existing customers. This is nothing different than what we talked about. So I don't, I, I'm just having a hard time seeing what the big deal is on this one. I don't see anything aha on this one. I think Am I what, missing something? Maybe not. I think why I thought this, I found this interesting and uh, prerequisiting this in that I've not seen the actual funnel yet. And so all may be made clear when this funnel is finally announced. And we'll we'll I'll we'll bring it up in a future episode when there's a visual that we can share, right? It would be interesting to me if there is a I'm intrigued as to how they visualize this on a page, on a screen, and the data points that they share of from X to Y, from point A to B to C, the whole point of this is that they're going to share the data of conversion rates going from one to the next. And that to me is what's interesting. Now, when you add more stuff to it, I think that there may be a um, a way to describe this where you add more stuff to something and then it becomes less useful than if you had, than if you strip things away from it. And the, the, it may be like some kind of cognitive bias or some way of, of the human brain um, like wanting to overcomplicate and not realizing that it's becoming more difficult to understand. But yeah. It's. Uh, I feel like that's kind of where we're going at with this. So perhaps, perhaps we should just move on to the next topic. Maybe we should. Just, yeah, I guess. I guess. I, well, well, right well, <laughs> well I, I'm. I'm just thinking. This is all. To me, this is all scoring. Yeah. If you think about scoring a client, right? Depending on how many. In other words, even if the lead came from accounting, one came from the plumber, one came from the janitor, one came from the salesperson. You know, we can score that, and then within that scoring, we can figure out what this creature looks like and what this creature has bought in the past for the upsell and cross-sell opportunities. Mm -hmm. The same, just scoring. I don't get the funnel thing. Anyway, all-in-one CRM software market, uh, including top key players, Salesforce, Oracle, and so forth. Anyway, a new research report published under the title Global All-in-One CRM software market can grow into the world's most important market uh, it, well, it can grow into the world's most important market, which has played an important role in making progressive impacts on the global economy. That one needs to go through the gutting fog filter as well. Uh, the global all-in-one software market reports uh, represents a dynamic vision for concluding and research, researching market size. Now, the reason I include this in here, let me just kind of back up. This is a new report that's out there, and it's looking at uh, this all-in-one CRM software markets. What I liked about this the title grabbed me because it's what we've been talking about, Will. Everything collapses within the CRM, right? So now they're putting a report together that says, look, let's really analyze these all-in-one packages. And some of the players, obviously, Salesforce, Oracle, Applicore, never heard, SAP, Microsoft, NetSuite, Sugar CRM, Zoho, and I still don't see, uh, well, Zoom Info, you said it's research. But anyway, I thought this was interesting. So it answers three questions, this report. So if you're a company, you want to get an all-in-one CRM software market report, this is where you go. And by the way, I got this over at goodnewsgum.com. Link will be in the show notes. 
But here are three key questions the report answers. What is the impact of COVID on global all-in-one CRM software market? Who are the top key players in the global CRM market, uh, the all-in-one? And what are their priorities, strategies, and development? And third question is, what are the types and applications of the global all-in-one CRM software market? Again, to buy this report, you'll probably have to pay a few thousand dollars. I wasn't willing to do that just for the sake of this show. But if you want me to buy this, here's what you do. You go to thisweekatsales.com. You ask me for, or will, for a number where you can send your money for us to buy it, and we'd be more than happy to do that. <laughs> Say what, Victor. Um, this, this is not a good example of how we could do this. But mm. I, we just bought a new um, coffee, coffee machine in the house. Um, my partner just bought one for her birthday, right? I, I, I paid half of it. Well, I, I got to say, I got to say, I got to interrupt. I got to interrupt okay. here. You know, I keep hearing partner. Are we ever getting married here? Are we ever getting married here? I'm um, just asking a question. It, it probably would have happened if it wasn't for COVID. And in the UK, you could only have eight people at a wedding. Is she, is, is, is she your fiance? Oh, no. Uh, so this has all been discussed. I think so, I, we, I, so we've we've not gone down that road yet. So I don't we're want to still be partnered. engaged for like five years. Okay. So we're in partner. Then the progression is fiance, then yeah. wife. I just want to make sure we got that. So we're still in the partner part of the spectrum. So there's, uh, this is not interesting for the audience whatsoever, but there's definitely a difference culturally between getting married in the UK and in the US. So it seems like a similar service and a similar, from the outside looking, it seems like a similar process. But I've got family over in Chicago. And uh, so shout out to my family over there that definitely will never listen to the show as either. But they, um, a couple of their kids have got married in the past couple of years. And um, so, I, so I've you know been over there and, and been to the weddings and that as well, or, or the wedding. And uh, it's 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 a slightly different process in the UK. You don't typically in the UK people tend to stay together longer, uh, you know, in, in a relationship as a couple before they get married. That seems to be one insight that I've seen. And then two, uh, whether it's me or again culturally, I want to get engaged. And then it's, it seems to be like a year before you can get anything booked in. It's probably two or three years now as all the venues are massively uh, overbooked. So I don't really want to just be engaged for three years. What's the point? Like, engagement to me is just like a, a, a weird period be between where you are and uh, kind of where you want to be. So yeah, so I keep calling her my partner. Okay, hi. I think we've mentioned on the show before, I don't mention her by name because she's a doctor and she doesn't want to, if we say anything ridiculous and insensitive or myself in particular say that she doesn't want to be associated with it and have her well, career affected by it. So that's why I always refer well, no. to it as my partner. Well, I, I just want to highlight something. This, this, this is a cultural difference, I think. I just, I just, I don't know if I even told you this. I got to make you aware of this. So when a man, or it could be a woman as well, uses the word partner, it's more associated that it's someone of the same sex. Mm -hmm. Just, just FYI. So, again, to miss maybe uh, a cultural thing: UK versus US. Typically, if I say um, my my partner is my girlfriend, people assume that we've been going out like three weeks. So okay. I've been with her like seven years. So after okay. like the first four years, I was like, well, she's not really my girlfriend. You know, she's not yeah, really like that, yeah, yeah. that bit on the side. Yeah. Uh, she yeah, is like yeah. my partner kind of thing. So that's why I framed yeah. it like that. Yeah, you're pretty much buried. You just don't know it yet. But go <laughs> ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Go. By the um, way, that was a cultural. That was the cultural section and slash personal insight section of thisweekinsales.com. So I'm totally lost at where we are now. So I'll go on to the yeah. next topic. You asked me a question then and then totally cut me off of where the question was going. So we'll move on to this. Now, we don't have time for this. But I thought in, in this show to do it in its entirety. But I thought this could be an interesting feature to do in the future, mm. Victor. We could have, if we're going to have Culture Corner, we could also have uh, something that uh, rhymes with debate. 
we can have a debate section and we can both pick a side and we can debate uh, one way or the other because I feel like you're mm. a pretty strong negotiator. I feel like I'm a strong yeah. negotiator. I feel like that could be interesting for the audience. This came about from a article over at mdm.com where a panel of quote-unquote experts debated who will win the battle for sales, man or machine. The, ti- the t- article title was who will win the battle, man versus machine in distribution sales. And essentially they got a a panel of individuals, I think it was done over email as opposed to in person because they weren't really engaging with each other. They were just giving their hot takes. But they answered three questions. Round one, who owns the sales experience? Round two, can machines manage complexity? And number three, which route produces the smoothest sales cycle? So, Victor, do you want to just quickly do this? Should we quickly see if we can debate this in, in three or four minutes? Who do you want to be? Let's do, do it. you want to be on the side of man or on the side of machine? I'll be a gentleman. I'll let you choose first. I feel like you've got to be the, the author of AI sales books and having a, a clear interest in that. I think you've got to be machine. Machine. I was going to go for machine because machine is definitely all three, hands down, no debate. Let's end this thing right now. Quick knockout, 10 seconds, machine. So how can how, so the first question, who owns the sales experience? How can a machine own an experience of humans? It can actually produce the content without the use of actual individuals. It probably can produce content more effectively than actual individuals. Are you, are you Why? sure Based about that? I'm, I'm not sure that is true. That, that is a statement oh. that there seems to be no evidence of. We're not reading books. We're not reading so content. We're not watching videos so, created by machines just yet. So, so there, there's uh, products like Quill. If you go to Quill.com, Quill can actually produce articles for you. So if you feed the machine enough general information, it can produce articles. It can probably produce multiple articles. It can go out to the internet and search and build articles. The actual human can't keep up with that. They just can't. That's my argument. Go. It's irrelevant. I can produce articles. I can produce a thousand articles Not like a, a machine. Day, but if they're all Not crap like a machine. and Not nobody like, cares. Not like- not like a machine. The machine can probably produce high quality article based on, let's say, even you're you're undoing in your own sentence. So you well, said a probably a machine can probably do X Y Z. I don't feel like you're confident in this argument, Victor. I'm I'm comfortable in the argument that. It, but if you ask me if you can do it today, are you asking me today or within, let's say, three years, five years? Oh, so if you go into the future, then you've already this has already fell apart. This is terrible. Wait a minute. Wait, I'm, I'm asking I'm, I'm asking you because there's a timeline here. I should have asked that question. What's the timeline? If you say you today, you have to ask the timeline, Victor. Then machines, okay, it, it's done. It's over. No, no, only, no. It's not done because right now, how many sales are being lost because? Content providers aren't providing the right content. It's totally misaligned. Sure. They can't they can't analyze the data points. If you were to separate the individual from the machine, you get no access to the CRM. So if you're going to be the actual individual, you want to own it as the man or the woman, you can't use a machine because that would contradict your argument. So where would you get your content? You go on the internet. Boom, that's a machine. So you're getting your information from a machine. Okay, so that's what you're telling me already. So you're dependent on the machine already, and you're saying you own the experience. No, you don't. Who owns the algorithms? Machines do. I think I can Ranka. do a better job on the phone engaging with a potential customer than a machine can spamming someone with articles written on the back of content written by humans. We've talked about this in the past. People are going online and buying things by themselves. They don't need the individual. So you can cold call all you want. While you're cold calling, uh, let me tell you no, what your client's I didn't doing. I say cold call. I said yeah, okay. I can have a conversation with someone. <laughs> You're on, While you're on the phone. While you're on the phone. With a talented, skilled individual over spammy, robotic, uh, algorithmic based content 
or any day of the week. Let's move on to and by the, way, the next point here before. Wait, 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 wait. Just one more thing. You're having a conversation with that individual, yeah. right? You're on the phone. You're having a conversation. But remember, that com- that client has already done 80, 90% of the customer journey. And guess where they got their information from? A machine, the internet. So you're basically having to deal with a person who's been conditioned by the machine. Yeah, but who wrote the content? Oh, the machine. No, that's the machine. I will. I'll. So fine. So if you're going all in on this, which is fine, I'm going all in. I'm going all in. They've consumed content, terrible content, algorithmic driven, with no uh, human touch, with no emotion, no empathy. I will. I will happily go up against that. I think that's my competitive advantage as a salesperson in the age that we're living in. And that I go, okay. So you read all that, but you're probably not convinced, are you, sir? Um, yeah, it was all a bit weird. It didn't really make any oh, sense because there's no context yeah. to any of it because it was written by Victor's really shitty algorithm. <laughs> oh, hey, oh, by the way, do you I think, just I spend think, five I... minutes on the phone just uh, going through a few things and you seeing what you really need and seeing what the, the gap is from where you are to where you want to be? Oh, that, that would be really useful. That would be really helpful. And so I can thank Victor for perhaps um, uh, getting this sales process going and doing a little bit of my job for me. And then I can close the deal and... Uh, and, and take the take the money home. I think this would be just stepping outside of this example we're doing. This would be really interesting if you set up like a salesperson and a machine in a separate room, and then to go begin, you know, and you know, calculate at the end of the day what each one did. That would be fascinating. That there would be, be some products, to be fair, that. Um, yeah. auto creation of content, just ca- keeping attention uh, for a long period of time, maybe B2C products or, or lower priced, you know, just d- disposable or um, uh, commoditized products. There, there might be an argument one way or the other, but I feel like it's, it's going to be difficult to compete with someone on the phone who, who is skilled. So there, there was two other questions here, but we'll, we'll skip through these. We'll, we'll carry on with the conversation and move the show forward. Uh, but what do you think about that as a feature, Victor? And audience uh, listening to this, uh, write us at thisweekinsales.com if you feel like that would be an interesting thing for me and Victor to just debate something ridiculous each week, uh, somewhat related right. to sales. What do you take think? A po- yeah, take a posing. I, I like the idea, actually. I like the idea. It'll, it'll force us to be more, I guess, better negotiators, fortify our thinking, and make sure we present a strong case on each side. Yeah, I like that. I like that. But this one, can the machines manage complexity better than humans? Of course, yes. Which no, route produces whoa, 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 whoa. which route produces is, the smoothest sales? That is not conclusive. <laughs> is that conclusive? Which route, by the way, which route produces? Do you produces feel like the, your car can drive better than what you can right now? Can't my car can drive better? No, not yet. So, by the way, what you just said then was. That machines but, but, can manage complexity better than humans is incorrect. We're talk- By the way, in the context of sales, I say yes, because it's that complicated. There's too many data points. There's too many signals in the machine. Sales, sell- the average salesperson can't figure out what's what. I'm going to go super sometime. cliche here, Victor. I think this ends the whole Do conversation. It. When Do a computer it. is selling to a computer, right. what you're saying makes total sense. When m- my big meat sack is selling to another big meat sack, the complexity is almost becomes irrelevant because the person that you're selling to, they're so ambiguous, don't really know what they want. The budget might be there, might not be there. You need a level of empathy. You need to be able to communicate on a human-to-human level. It's so cliche. I almost feel like gagging. I feel a little bit sick at the back of my throat as I'm saying this. I'm feeling sick. But this, this human-to-human <laughs> selling kind of process, that... That you, you can't underestimate that when we're talking about all numbers and data and whatever. When you pick up the phone to someone 
whether you pick it up, a computer picks it up and artificially talks, and they go, ah, well, I ran over my dog this morning. I'm a bit miserable. There's no data point that can help you out with that. Not yet, anyway. I'm going to agree with you that just, I'm going to give you a little bit, just give you a little daylight here, is that humans can have a better conversation with other humans. Not going to argue that. But I am saying that if we step back, zoom back, and look at how people are buying, the human is being squeezed out of the actual process. That's what I'm saying. And in the end, the machine, Cybernet, will win. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we can project it into Terminator, uh, but yeah. we're, we're making assumptions there as opposed to using actual. I, I like to, I don't know about you, Victor, I like to base my uh, arguments, negotiations on, on, on fact and data and the real world. So uh, the audience can make it. What we should do is ask the audience, we'll do a poll on the show notes page and ask the audience to vote who won the, the debate. Okay, I'm I'm all with that, but I think I won because machines are just going to be that much smarter. Now, let's go to the culture corner because this ought to get interesting right now as we wind down. Trump you? has essentially created his own personal Twitter page, um, and it. I, I so I've got no uh, horse in this race, so you can. I'll I'll let you lead with any political elements to the conversation. I'm happy to talk about politics, but clearly Trump just got banned from every platform. Just in, in in an instant, which is insane, and that's a conversation I'll ask you a few questions on perhaps in, in a minute or two, of whether you feel like social media companies are big enough to be uh, managed, judged, and and like lit- litigated as utilities. Should Twitter be able to just go, okay, you built this massive audience, you've given us a ton of value, you have a voice as an individual, but not on our, not on our platform. And then Facebook goes, well, Twitter's kicked him off, well, or kicked whoever off, we'll do the same. And this all came about, this became um, really clear to me with, are you familiar with Alex Jones and Infowars? Yeah, of course I am. So I, I don't watch the content. He's got a sick studio. <clears throat> so I, I watched some of his uh, stuff just to see what he's going on with the studio because he seems to have an unlimited right. budget to spend on production. Um, and he's been on the Joe Rogan podcast and he's been hilarious on the different Joe Rogan podcasts that he's done. Um, so again, Politics and all that kind of thing aside for me, because it doesn't really mean anything to me, uh, American politics, other than to just watch it from afar. He was the first one where it was just all of a sudden Twitter banned, Facebook banned, YouTube banned. I think YouTube might have been the first. Uh, banned from iTunes. Even Apple got involved. No more podcasts. Um, he, he got buried in Google search results because he was then affiliated with whatever he became affiliated with, um, I don't, however they framed him up. Is that disturbing? We'll come on to Trump's um, new kind of uh, content idea in a, in a second, but does that worry you, Victor, from you know an American citizen, seeing these American companies just banning people, just deleting them off the internet? Uh, yes. The I mean, Alex Jones is, let's just say, he's a little out there sometimes. You know what I mean? He is entertaining. He is out there. But I mean, who sets the standard for who should be banned and who should be banned? I mean, what's what's the standard? Uh, he exaggerates. He has a lot of conspiracy theories, right? But who determines? Because, I mean, on the left, I'm sure if we dig deep enough on the left being, you know, somebody who's opposed to Alex Jones, we'll find some other conspiracy theorists. And they're all over the place. But, I mean, that's part of free speech, isn't it? That you can choose who you want to listen to. And so I, I think I, I think they've revealed themselves as being biased over and over again. Just because, you know, I mean, you banned the president of the United States. Now, if your level of, uh, let's say your, what do you call that, what your measure, where you kind of, this is the cutoff, is that he lied or stretched the truth, then you might as well ban every politician. I mean, just start. I mean, Joe Biden has already told so many lies, I've lost count. I mean, 
But nobody's, again, kicked him off Twitter. And so I think, and again, I'm zooming back, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, I'm saying it doesn't matter. This is a dangerous, I hate to use the cliche, slippery slope, but this is dangerous when you start doing stuff like this. This is fascism. And I hate to just throw out the word that, but it is. To some extent, it's like when you start determining who can talk and who can't talk, that's not cool. So whether you're banned or shadow banned was the other thing that's going on in the U.S. And by the way, I saw it on my, my feeds. You know, leading up to the election, people I used to follow, I just didn't see anymore. And then after the election, poof, they popped right back up. It was really interesting to see. But anyway, that's my take on this. For sure. Some of this, um, so I have two thoughts on this. One, you... Uh, these big companies should be uh, considered essential utilities at this point, rightly or wrongly. Like I never use Facebook. I think it's a terrible place to spend your time. You just they're just sucking attention from you. We talked about it on previous episodes of this week in sales, where they're just taking your attention, bundling it up with millions of other people, and then selling it to literally the highest bidder and the the auction system that they have for the ads. That is weird. So I spend basically zero time on social media. On my phone, I've got Reddit banned, like blocked, I can't get on there. I've got uh, Twitter blocked. I've got, link. I can't even get on LinkedIn on my phone and I refuse to install the app on there as well because those like three or four seconds routinely throughout the day is essentially, I don't think there's a big conspiracy behind it or anything, but there's, they're essentially programming you to the, the jumping into your, your dopamine um, cycles and it's becoming an addictive process. And it's it's not, nobody needs to spend that much time, uh, the average person's time that they spend on these platforms. So with all that aside, they should be kind of, they should be regulated as utilities from the perspective of, if you're going to say you, you can't turn off someone's electricity, you can't turn off someone's water because of their views. You shouldn't be able to do that on, on social media. If I don't want to follow you, I just unfollow you. It should be that simple. Now, part of the issue of some of this as well is the, it used to be a reverse chronological timeline, right? You go on Twitter, you go on Facebook, your friends posted because you're just about to go out for a meal. You're just about to go and do this. And they posted and you look at it. And on the timeline, you see it in order of uh, when things were posted. Then Facebook go, oh, hey, we can insert a ton more ads, get a ton more attention on what we want attention on. Whether it's a positive story, negative story, push attention one place or another by not having that chronological elements to our timelines and you could never convince them because they lose so much money if they went back to a chronological timeline but that would solve a lot of this issue with echo chambers and you know oppressed and, and people getting angry about things because if you're not awake at three o'clock when um, barry's getting mad because he's locked outside his house and he's saying all this ridiculous stuff then you're probably not going to see it because it's going to be uh, buried by the next day so they're, they're my two thoughts on this yeah, I don't. I don't think it should be regulated as a utility. I'm, I'm, so that's my. That would be very anti-capitalist for me to do that. But I think there there is something called it. And I was looking up to be sure when I had this conversation with you. There's something called the. They're protected under something called Section 230 here in the U.S., which means they can't be sued, right? And so there's a wonderful article, and I'll give you. I didn't give you the link, but I'll, I'll give you the link so we can put it in the show notes where it talks about how lawmakers now, on both sides of the aisle are saying, hey, if these guys are going to start curating content, who can talk, who can't talk, then it's no longer falls under the articles of Section 230 where they're supposed to be agnostic. In other words, they've moved from publisher to now make opinion makers. And so now you got these politicians, smart Democrats are saying, wait a minute, they're using it against Republicans now, but they could always use it against us. And so I think it'd be interesting for them to remove some of that protection. So now... If they, if they 
want to play the agnostic role they can play. But as soon as you de-platform, I can sue you because now you got to prove that the reason you de-platform didn't violate my First Amendment rights. And this is what I would love to see, for them to remove that so you can sue a company like Twitter. And then they would have to prove how and why you deplatformed them. And I think that would stop the silliness. They'd probably say, you know what, let's not deplatform anybody because we're going to just generate lawsuits every day. And I'd rather that would be the market response as opposed to any type of regulation. That would be what I went on. The problem with that, though, Victor, I don't know how, um, I don't want to undermine <clears throat> what you're saying. I don't, know how, I don't know how interested you are in this subject. I'm, I'm pretty interested in it, right? Um, so I'm not kind of throwing, I'm not trying to, deb- I'm not trying to debate it with you. I'm, I'm chatting with you about it. But the problem with that is then these uh, brands, these organizations go, okay, so we're going to get sued. So we're now going to even more dramatically cut people, um, uh, censor people, uh, Cut back on what people can and can't say. If someone's got a post that's doing really well that's somewhat controversial, we're going to have to delete it before someone sues us against that specific post. So, by no, no, no. I, by the by the way, by the way, no, no. I, I think you're looking at it wrong. If you play the agnostic role, you say put whatever you want on the platform. Correct. You, that's the way it should be. Correct. Like that, they don't get sued. That's Section 230, right? We won't sue you because you're just a publisher. But as soon as you start deplatforming, then now you can, you can be sued. I think that's the argument I'm making. I don't know if it's the same argument, but I'm just saying because they're not doing that anymore, you know what? It's time to get sued. But and so that if, would correct. If they, if they re-regulate them as uh, essentially, it's the difference between a, a newspaper and the the post office, right? This is the best analogy. Correct. Newspaper posts uh, opinion pieces. Hopefully, they are truthful, or you know, everyone has cognitive biases that are pushing people one way or another. Uh, but if you look, at, I won't name anyone anyone specific paper because I'm sure they're all biased in some way. But if you compare that to the postal service, well, the postal service will pick up the mail from the Nazi sympathizer and they'll ship it to whoever and they're not looking at it, they're not debating it. Well, right now, social media companies are this, uh, the the postal service. They will pick up your post, they will share it on the platform uh, as long as it's not totally egregious and there's a few uh, rules uh, and regulations that go beyond the the realm of free speech, right? You can't say, hey, let's all meet in the car park and, and beat up Deborah because she's an asshole. You can't post things like that. Uh, that's not, it's out, outside the realms of free speech. Well, when you start to uh, regulate these companies as uh, publishers, which I think I think is what you're alluding to here, so that they can be sued, well, then Facebook, to prevent being sued, are going to cut people even more regularly from the platform. Because cutting people from the platform, you, go, you sue them and they go, well, it's, we're a publisher. You don't get to write for the New York Times. We choose not to have you on our platform there because we don't want the New York Times to be, um, you know, Accused of this, of this, uh, being influenced. I see, I see what you're saying. So that you could can't, be. She can't. Have, you can only have one or the other. It's binary. You can either have yeah. everyone on the platform, and this is where the debate lies, right? Of should right. they be should they be regulated like um, a utility, like the postal service, like gas, like electricity? In which case, you are forced to accept everybody, which is what I'm for. They should be utilities, or should they be uh, forced to be act like a publisher where they can get sued? In which case. If they're going to get sued um, because Alex Jones is on there and he comes off, well, they're going to just get right. rid of whoever they want, anyone controversial. Right. And they can, uh, by the way, they can I, push their own agendas. Based on you described it, I would agree with you. I would rather have it be a utility, a pure utility, right? And just do it that way. I think that's the best way of doing it. I mean, I think, you know, uh, I think there's something like Facebook is going to determine. I think you have it here, right? The oversight board. 
Sure. So Facebook's oversight board is going to, this all came from the story of Donald Trump. He's basically started a page on his website on jtrump.com forward slash desk. And essentially it's his tweets. So if you are a fan of Donald Trump, if you want to continue his essentially Twitter content, every, it's every 25 minutes or whenever he posts, go to donaldjtrump.com forward slash desk and you can now find it there rather than on Twitter. Now, We'll talk about it in a second. Trump has been uh, teasing his own social media platform for sure. months and months and months now. And there was a, uh, who is it? Mr. Miller. I think he's uh, part of Trump's, I guess, not mm -hmm. campaign group anymore, but whoever is behind the scenes. He says, quote, we'll have additional information coming out on that front in the near future with regards to his own social media platform or news platform, whatever it turns out to be. But yeah, Trump has his own, essentially, news desk now, his own Twitter. And this is on the back of and in in, in the face of Trump's oversight board, which will be announcing its decision on whether Trump is to be permanently banned. Because from a lot of these platforms at the moment, he's currently suspended. Whether he's going to be permanently banned from yeah. Facebook uh, in the next couple of days or so. So, yeah. So what do you think I, about Trump just going his own way? Does he have a big enough audience to just that people will just go to his own website and sod Twitter. We don't need that. We don't need him you to know, publish on there anymore. I, I, you know, to me, I, I find that like irrelevant. You know, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but I just I like it doesn't matter to me. The I'm still back to the issue of you banned the president of the United States from your platform. I mean, just just that thought should should just chill out anybody. You know what I mean? And so, and again, a lot of it had to do because he was calling the elections fraud, right? And so, what's happening now? I don't know if you you're following the news, but what's happening in Maricopa County, out of Arizona? Did you hear about this? Uh, it's it's really it's really fascinating. Well, by the way, politics aside, it's really fascinating. It's what I think is the largest county in Arizona. They're saying that should have gone Trump, right? So investors got together, pooled money, rented out a stadium, and now they have the audit going on live. If you go to a website, I think it's called Ace Az. You want to look at it, it's really cool. Az audit like Arizona audit.org. They got nine live feeds. And what they've come up with is a facet. Now they're doing a recount, a full recount, not a sample, a full recount. But what's interesting is how they set this up, which I think is going to impact the future of voting here at, in the U.S. And I bet you it'll be over there. And that is, if you look at the videos, it's kind of cool. They take the ballot, they put it on this scanner, and the scanner rotates around so three people look at it. Nobody touches it. The scanner looks for watermarks, uh, signature, and everything, and all that's stored in a database. And so they're doing everything to stop this count. They're doing everything to stop this count. They're even ignoring it. They were first yelling about it. Now they're just ignoring it. And so I think they'll be done in another week or two. Now, Trump lost by 11,000 votes, a very significant state, by the way, pivot state. And so it'll be interesting to see. If he still loses that, then I think the, the question of voter fraud, everybody should just shut up. Everybody should shut up. But I got a feeling they might find something else. And I hope to be wrong. I like to think that the elections were fair, you know, but this will be interesting. But the fact that they've been so ferocious on stopping this count, is very interesting. But getting back to the, the, the question about deep, I think deep platforming people is just wrong. Because like, we let's, just ignore let's people. Let's pull it back to sales here for a second, bit. Because yeah. what happens, right? Um, do you, are you familiar with Corporate Bro and his uh, kind of, comedy LinkedIn content. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I saw, he did a, yeah, I do remember, because he did something on Grant Cardone, I think. He did a Probably. corporate bro thing. He, he, he does a lot of, like, piss-taking of individuals, brands. Uh, yeah, my, he does. Because my partner was like, hey, have you seen this dude? And he was doing one, uh, taking the piss out of Peloton. 
because she's got a peloton right uh, she's got a peloton uh, bike uh, and um she had nothing to do and i was like yeah I've, I've chatted with him kind of once or twice on instagram on different things and uh, i've gone back and forth with him a couple of times she's like how do you know him? And he's, she was immediately like, who's this celebrity that you've been hanging out with? Well, um, for context of all this, what we're talking about here, and to drag it back to the, kind of the, I guess the, the real world that we live in, mm-hmm. right? You and mm-hmm. I, Victor, the audience, he got banned from LinkedIn because it was a parody person. It wasn't an actual individual on LinkedIn creating content for, you know, to, to, to whatever you're using LinkedIn for, there's multiple reasons you use LinkedIn. It was obviously a parody character and he built like, maybe had like 20,000 followers on there. People really enjoyed his content. And so all hell broke loose when he was trying to get his profile back. So this doesn't just affect Donald J. Trump and Alex Jones and, and all these actual celebrities, right? And Corporate Rose is on, on the on the way to being like a legit celebrity. I, I like his content. But it affects just random people. Like, why have you just spent five years building your LinkedIn profile up? You're doing a ton of business through it. Perhaps your boss gives you bonuses each month because you're driving leads and and clicks and you're sharing articles for the company. And so you get a little bit of bonus or a commission or uh, you're doing with what Daniel Disney does. He's built a massive audience on on LinkedIn and uh, and a few other places as well, right? I do a show of him called Social Selling Show, which you can find over at salesman.org. What happens if he just gets banned? His whole business is just essentially taken from him overnight. So these things can affect just mere mortals as well. This is why I wanted to touch on it. I think it's it's interesting that Trump's clearly trying to go his own direction and be, you know, F you kind of social media companies. But yeah. the average person, <clears throat> we've got to play with win the rules. Yeah, I th- I, th- I think they're making they're move they're they're amping his martyrdom. He's become a bigger martyr post facto. Do you know? I think he's bigger after the fact than he is was during because of all this deep platforming. So, but anyway, I want to talk about something positive. So I'm watching this video by Daniel Goldman on Focus. And the link is attached uh, in the show notes. And what I love about it, here, here's a phrase he had, and the whole thing's about focus and attention. And he quoted Herbert Simon, Nobel Prize winner, who said, information consumes attention. Hence, a wealth of information creates a poverty of attention. And it was to your point, what you said earlier, right? You got so much stuff coming in. You don't know what to focus on anymore. And and, and anyway, first of all, the, the one hour, hour and 18 minute session is fantastic. But I think this whole thing about information consumes attention. I tie it into sales this way. Customers have so much information that they, it's hard to grab their attention. And for there, there's something in here about more information does not help you make a better decision in many cases. Thoughts so, will. So what you're saying is <clears throat> rather than AI, a machine just dumping more crap on an individual, what we need is a human touch of someone who can go in, see the connections, put line, line the dots up, and uh, and just wrapping up the debate that we had earlier on in that you need humans to do this, and this is our competitive advantage in the marketplace. Is that, is that you, what you're saying? You're, you're absolutely wrong again. <laughs> <laughs> you're absolutely wrong. Because what is that the machine can curate better than the human being. So I win the debate again. The human cannot curate like a machine can. So a machine, let's go back to Mr. Zoom Info, on the wasteland of information. That wasteland of information was caused by human beings. It is machines who are now cleaning it up. Notice, they're plug- it's up the plug-in to the CRM is not a human being. The plug-in is an algorithm, i.e. a machine. I rest my case. It's, it's not an unreasonable argument that a uh, computer's or you know, software, essentially, can, can curate things. So that, that, I'll, I'll give you that, but I think we're both in agreement 
on i think you just picked the wrong side i think you would have been agreeing with me on the, the human element of all this i, I think just, you picked the wrong side but we'll leave it at that <laughs> i just had a one-up you i just had a one-up you <laughs> well you, you don't one-up at anyone when you're incorrect you just you just dig in a deeper <laughs> hole uh, but this reminds me. This I'm not seen the video. Um, I'll watch it mm. um, probably tomorrow mm. morning um, when I'm on when I'm on the Peloton bike. I'll watch this tomorrow mm. morning. But yeah, the it reminds me of Cal Newport and his book Deep Work, and he talks about the the future of essentially living in, in the internet age is what I'm debating here with you, uh, kind of you know flippantly. Uh, I, think, I think we're both on agreement with a bunch of stuff here. But the people who can sit down and do actual work, people who aren't on social media. Bounce between this, bounce between that. Who can read three or four books on a subject and have an intelligent conversation on the back of it? Things like just it's not rocket science. People who can really focus on the things that matter, and maybe AI and and, and machine learning can help highlight what we should be focusing on. Um, but people who can really focus at a deep level, they will have a massive competitive advantage, not just in sales, just in the workplace in general. And all of these roles were. It used to be that you'd sit and spam phone calls or you'd spam emails. They are slowly getting eaten up and and, and and people are getting chewed out by AI machine learning. And so uh, this idea of focus, this idea of deep work, which I think is on the similar kind of wavelength here, this is going to be increasingly important and valuable. And I'm listening to content like this. I, I, you know, I think the show started off in a bit wishy-washy. I think we, we've ended it on a high here. But listening to this show once a week, if you're in sales, B2B sales specifically, if you are in sales ops, if you are a CRO, if you are in this space, this via me and you coming together and sharing articles, posts, information, our own anecdotes, uh, analogies and, and metaphors and, and storytelling, some of the things that we've done throughout this show and previous shows. This is a hour of essentially deep work. If you can listen to this while you're at the gym, while you're driving to appointments, you're going to learn more from this, just subconsciously going to the back of your brain that is going to allow you to have deeper conversations and allow you to have uh, more insightful conversations with your customers and people within your organization versus what most people do, which is they're on TikTok and they're just bashing through 15-second videos like because uh, it's addictive and there's flashing lights and there's girls with the boobs out, whatever it is. Um, whether people are watching, we'll go down that route while I've started, people are like addicted to porn, People are addicted to social media, you listen to crappy music, watching crappy TV shows, watching Netflix and just having the, your brain melted by really terrible TV that is literally designed to keep you on the sofa. Sesame Street, I don't know if you're familiar with this, uh, aware of this, Sesame Street were the first TV organization to use eye tracking with kids. And they tested from the very first season, every scene, eye tracked with kids, eye tracked with kids. Any scenes where the kids would look away from the telly, it's gone, it's it's done. And they replaced it with something else. They they reverse engineered this ability to keep masses of attention for kids and they're doing it for humans now. And they do all this with uh, Netflix original TV shows as well. If you can get rid of all that, listen to, I'm not saying this is the best show on the planet. There's probably other shows that you should be listening to as well. But if you're in the sales space, I think this is somewhat valuable, right? Humbly. Listening to stuff like this, reading books on topics adjacent to what you're 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 selling that you're the, the the industry that you're working in being able to have a conversation without pings bleeps and things going off and 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 really diving into topics that are going to be valuable not just for you but for your customers that's deep work and that's really going to separate you from you know whether it's uh, my age which is age or a 16 18 year old who's on the come up who's looking for a sales job right now the first or second role uh, who's just addicted to social media there's going to be the, the gap between these two types of individual that's going to just become a canyon over time. And you have people who are addicted to just wasting their lives and people who are 
hopefully kind of pushing in the right direction. Victor, that was a bit of a rant. Do you agree? Vega, That's okay. Right? I agree with all the above, you know, and I, and I want to put it just a fine point on it because it tied back to Daniel Goldman and you highlighted something that there is this gap between attention, deep work, right, and lack thereof. Now let's take it back, tie it back to sales as we close this thing out. Because one of the things I think Daniel Goldman talked about indirectly, it wasn't talking about sales, but I could see how I applied to sales was this deep work, this focus, this attention is a type of attention slash deep focus that customers want. So when you're talking to them, you're in there. You're not thinking about something else. You learn, you, you, it's, it's a discipline you develop in terms of, I need to really listen to what they're telling me and be in the game, in the moment. And it, it, like I said, what I love about the video, he talks about different strategies for trying to stay you know, mindful and aware of a conversation, which is, a, which is, as you're pointing out, is that something that's becoming more difficult for a lot of people to do because of all the bells, whistles, and flashing lights. I shouldn't talk about like yeah. mindfulness meditation. Is there anything else? Is there any like parting wisdom you want to leave the audience with who perhaps to the best of our like wanting them to watch a video like this are never going to watch it? Is there any one takeaway from the video for salespeople who are listening who want to increase their ability to focus and attention on a customer? Da Daniel Goleman was the first person that I've heard that broke empathy down into three parts, which I'd never thought of. And this is in that video. And so I'm not going to tell you what the three parts are because I want you to watch the video. But when he broke down empathy, I was like, okay, I've never looked at empathy that way. And it was kind of like, it made me actually just pause the video and go, okay, that was different. And it applies to selling and it applies to relationships. And so watch the video. It's a great video. I'll leave you guys with that teaser. It was so wrong of me, but there it is. <laughs> Amazing stuff. Well, we'll link that video in the show notes of this episode over at thisweekinsales.com. Victor, anything to wrap up on or are we going to wrap things up there, mate? No, uh, as you know, I'm going through my, my, my spiritual journey of trying to figure out what my next step is in terms of content, books I want to write, stuff like that. So I will after this podcast, I will continue my journey. As I pointed out, my nomadic journey of wandering the wastelands of what am I going to do next? That's going to be exciting. Uh, we got the Outbound Conference coming up, by the way, next month. Super excited about that. So go to outboundconference.com, discount code Victor, Victor100. Would love to have you there, Will. I mean, it would have been great if you were there. We could have hung out. I'm still waiting for the invite <laughs> and the... Uh... The, the plane tickets. Well, and, and I don't the, even know if we can travel, honestly, at the moment. The UK just mm, uh, introducing mm, like a traffic light system. I think if it's a green light, which probably will be the States, you don't need to quarantine on the way back in. I think you just got to do a test either side of the border. Uh, orange lights, you've got, to qual you've got to quarantine in your house. And a red light, you've got to quarantine in a hotel at your own cost. Um, so mm. yeah, so when you send me the plane tickets, I'll, uh, I'll suss out what, what traffic lights we're on and we can suss that out. Keep staring at that mailbox. It may show up one day. <laughs> well, with that, that was Victor Antonio, sales legend. My name is Will Barron. I'm the founder of sales.org, and you've just been tuning into This Week in Sales. Mm -hmm.